0: Well, uh, this morning we are in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and we're looking at uh, verses 1 through 11 this morning. Now, I said I was a little bit too hot, but now you've turned me down a little bit too much. So let's find a happy medium there. All right. So let's start with verse 8, and uh, you'll notice verse... uh, 52 and 53. In my Bible, I have an English standard version. And it says that this story that we're about to read is not found in the um, earliest manuscripts. Okay? Now, I don't have time to explain that this morning. But uh, this is a story that early church fathers, as they read this story in later manuscripts... It's a story that, um, yes, can be associated with Jesus and may very well have taken place. And so they've inserted it here. Okay. And so we're just going to treat this as scripture, as uh, the the early church fathers have adopted this as scripture this morning. But I want to read, starting with verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses... In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on. Sin no more. And so I titled this message, um, Social Justice and God's Justice. I want to begin with this story and and what's happening in this text this morning. But then I really want to address this text with today's culture and what's happening today with, with um, social justice and what's dividing us so much as a church and primarily and in our culture. But uh, as we look at this text this morning, there is an angry, self-righteous mob that's come to Jesus, come to Jesus and dragging with them a woman... Who has been caught in the act of adultery. And they brought her to the judge of all judges, the supreme judge. And as they brought her to Jesus, Jesus sees their immoral motives, that these self righteous, this self-righteous, angry mob uh, has their motives are not pure. They're trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus knew it. You know, Jeff preached a couple weeks ago in John chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. These men are not judging with right judgment. Um, they are not conducting this trial according to the Moses law that they want to hold Jesus to. Okay? Uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22. Talk about the fact that if, if a person is caught in the act of adultery It requires the presence of the man and the woman in the court of law. And if found guilty, they are to be stoned to death. Well, they're not conducting themselves by Moses' law. They've only brought the woman to Jesus. Merely to trap Jesus. They want to know Jesus' view on the law and his view on sin. And sinful people. And so, it's a trap. Jesus is uh, caught between a rock and a hard place. What is Jesus going to do? If he says no stoning, then he's not paying attention to Moses' law. Because Moses' law says that she is to be stoned. And, in fact, in John chapter 8, verse 5, they say, Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. But isn't it interesting? They say nothing about the man, okay? They're pulling the verse out of context and reading according to their own personal preference. And so, you know, but if Jesus says, no, don't stone her, then... He, he will be contradicting Moses. If Jesus says, stone her, well, there's a couple things that are going to happen. Okay, number one, he's going to be in trouble with the Romans. Because Jews were not allowed to execute people. That was, that was something that only Rome ha- could have responsibility for. And the second thing, Jesus's reputation would be destroyed. Because if Jesus said to stone this woman, he, would ne- he, he wouldn't be uh, considered a person of compassion and forgiveness at this moment. Those things would be canceled. And so Jesus sees their hypocritical hearts, that their hearts were evil, and you know what? They're only there because they want to cancel Jesus. You know, the- Jesus is disruptive to their their way of living their authority among the people and Jesus sees this Jesus knows hearts we've been looking at that we've understood that and we've been going through the book of John but let me read uh, Genesis chapter six verse five back in the old Testament genesis six five says the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of their hearts, of, their thought, of the thoughts of, of his heart, was only evil continually. Church, nothing's changed. <laughs> that's still the heart of man, and that's what Jesus sees in these religious people. And so Jesus says in John chapter eight, verse seven, "He who is without sin, casts the first stone." Again, he knows their hearts, and he knows that they're all guilty. And uh, the Old Testament says, "If if you have been caught in the sin." If, if you've done the sin that you're accusing somebody else of, then you cannot cast a stone. And these men who are standing before Jesus, they've either um, committed adultery themselves or they've committed the act of adultery in their hearts. And they're all guilty. And the Bible says, one by one, they began to leave. Beginning with the oldest. <laughs> Why did the oldest leave first? <laughs> because probably he knew he had the most sin in his heart. He was the most guilty. But they all realized that they were all guilty and they left the presence of the supreme judge. At that point, Jesus was on the on the ground and he was drawing he got up and he noticed that they had all left Jesus looked at the woman the woman who had been caught in the act of adultery who had been drugged to Jesus who had been humiliated before her peers she has been found out they know the worst of who she is Jesus asks, Woman, where did they all go? Jesus says this. And the woman says this. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now, sin. No more. Jesus treated this woman who has been completely exposed with nothing but grace and mercy. Church, that's the way we've all been treated if we've come into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what she did. Look how she acknowledged Jesus. In verse 11, she said, No one, Lord. She didn't address Jesus as rabbi, or teacher, or prophet. He was now her Lord. And Jesus saw her heart. Jesus knew her sincerity. And Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Now, at this point, is Jesus excusing those who practice adultery? Is Jesus overlooking this woman's sin was Jesus approving of her sin and i want to say to you this morning very clearly absolutely not Jesus wasn't condemning her because Jesus was going to take her condemnation upon himself and die on that cross Jesus was removing her condemnation. Just like the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 17, I came to save and not condemn. One day when Jesus returns, he's going to condemn those who haven't repented of their sin. But in the meantime, Jesus is here to save. And Jesus was removing this woman's condemnation. And then he says, and lets us know, why he isn't excusing her sin, or overlooking her sin, he says now, go and sin no more. He doesn't approve of the practice of adultery. He wants us as Christians now, as followers of Christ, to live lives of gratitude and holiness so that others might know whom we belong to and that we live in worship of him. Romans chapter six, verses one through seven says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died and has has been set free from sin. This woman now knows the Lord Jesus Christ. And now she has the power to live a life of holiness, to say no to adultery, to see how disgusting and vile adultery is, and to live a life that is pleasing to her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is Jesus' expectation for all who claim the name of Christ. He does not excuse our sin. He does not overlook it. He wants us to now go and sin no more. So the next question I have from this text is this. Does this text censure us from ever pointing out someone's sin? When Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, does that mean as Christians that we should never say anything? That we should overlook other people's sins? You know, people like to quote Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. How many of us have heard that? How dare you judge me? But you know, if you read the context of Matthew chapter 7, that context, conduct, that context doesn't prohibit all types of judging. There is a righteous kind of judgment we are all carefully to discern. I go back to Matthew, or John chapter 7, verse 24, when Jesus says, Judge... With a righteous judgment. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We have the responsibility, Christians, to speak the truth in love and expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. Now, what was happening to this woman was truly unjust. And Jesus spoke into an unjust situation. (laughs) There were oppressors. And there was an oppressed. And Jesus was there to defend the oppressed. He saw, he saw the hypocrisy of the oppressors. And he spoke truth into that situation. He who is without sin cast the first stone. And Jesus, as only Jesus could do... Um, resolved a very difficult situation now for us as Christians God demands Christians exercise justice with moral and biblical discernment okay I think that's uh, if you I hope you have out your outline this morning does does everybody have an outline um, you know what? There are outlines in the in the chapel this morning. Uh, I don't know if I can get a couple men to uh, get those uh, outlines that will help you in this message. Listen, I put a lot of time in this. I've had two, I've had two weeks to marinate on this sermon. Okay, and there is a lot of important stuff in here that we need to understand and be equipped. Uh, with Uh, especially when it comes to uh, social justice I'm hoping it's on the counter over there Uh, I don't know if they printed them or not okay good yeah their announcements are on one side and the sermon notes are on the back side raise your hand if you don't have one of these and uh, we'll get you one this morning hopefully we have enough for everybody just keep your hand raised and um, Ron and Craig will, will get you one okay But God demands Christians exercise justice with moral and biblical discernment. Again, John chapter 7, verse 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. How Jesus navigated this lose-lose situation was amazing. And God was glorified. In church, God wants us to speak up when we see injustice ourselves. How can God's people respond like Jesus? Now, I need to be careful here. Okay? I don't want to sound like a hater. I want to be careful of my tone. (laughs) That you will hear me and not, not cancel me. Okay, so hear my heart. Today, we don't have a mob who's standing ready to stone adulterous women. That's not happening in our culture today. But we do have angry mobs set on tearing down a system that they deem unjust and racist, with chaos, violence, and destruction. And here's the sad part there are pastors and religious leaders who have jumped on this social justice bandwagon, siding with and sympathizing with the angry mob. And it has created a fault line in Christianity and has greatly divided the church. Unfortunately, the social justice side wants a preferred outcome regardless of the facts. That's not justice. That's a perversion of justice. All right? So social justice is a huge word today. And we've all been watching it being played out in front of televisions and across major cities over the last six months. And we're not done with this issue. But how should believers respond biblically to injustice? Well, the Bible says this in Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Okay, you need to circle the words. Judge righteously. And we're going to look at what righteous judgment looks like in just a moment. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. As as a church, as Christians, we should all be about justice. God's justice. Okay? Defending the rights of the poor and the needy. And the destitute. We must be there for them. There's no question about that. But what does righteous judgment look like? What is justice according to the scripture? Okay? And it's different from social justice. and You're going to see that in a moment. But what does... What does God's justice look like? God's justice is totally impartial and completely objective. It is justice that is perfect, unblemished, untarnished, and completely devoid of prejudicial bias or partiality of any kind and without regard to outcome. That's God's justice. Let me read some verses of Scripture, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, concerning God's justice. Deuteronomy 1, 17. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone. Let me read that again. You shall not be intimidated by anyone. (laughs) Listen, guys, the social justice crowd wants to intimidate you to believe their form of justice. And God says you shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And every verdict that comes down from a judge as Christians... We need to see that verdict as coming from a sovereign God, whether we like it or not. If you don't agree with it, there is a process that you can go, go through to appeal the verdict. But in the meantime, you need to accept The sovereign will of God over this situation because the Bible says, For the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me and I will hear it. Referring to to Moses and the people of Israel. Uh, Exodus chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear the witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. Okay? With God, there is no partiality. Even with the poor, the Bible says you are to be, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his, li- lawsuit, in his lawsuit. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, understand, church, these are biblical principles for believers. Okay? And these are principles that we have in our justice system today. But as as the body of Christ, we need to understand God's form of justice, and adhere to these principles. Okay, so I'm speaking to the church this morning. Luke, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 15 through 18. You shall do no ju- injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but righteousness shall judge, shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall not reason, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And in the New Testament, Romans chapter 2, verse 11 says, For there is no partiality with God. And James chapter 2, verse 9 says, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The concept of justice. Has originated with God, not man. God is just. And as Christians, we are to judge righteously. And in that judging righteously, you know, it's important to personally reflect and not jump to conclusions in any situation. You know, as we personally reflect, this is what God wants us to do. This is what he wanted uh, the religious hypocrites to do. He said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Look in your heart, man. What's there? And before we jump to conclusions about any situation, guess what? We need to look inside our hearts. Jesus tells us, you know what? We need to focus on the log that's in our eye before we focus on that little speck that's in our brother's eye. And when we personally reflect and we do need to confront, it's going to show in our tone, it's going to show in our words that we care and that we are patient in waiting for all the facts to come in before we give our own personal opinion. That's judging righteously. And it doesn't excuse sin. Okay? <laughs> We're looking at our heart first and making sure that, uh, that we're coming across in a, in a godly manner, in a Christ-like manner. But you know what, church? God doesn't want us to be like the world. And the world is jumping to conclusions before the facts come in. And in fact, the world isn't concerned about the facts. When it comes to social justice, they want their own preferred justice. It's not impartial justice. And there's zero reflection. And you know what? We shouldn't expect anything different from the world. That's the sinful heart of man. And man is thinking about themselves. Man is thinking about their own people. And their own preferences. And what they define as justice. So we shouldn't expect anything different. But as Christians, we can't go there. Social justice... Wants to convict people before all the evidence has been collected. That's not justice. That's revenge. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 17 says, You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. We can't expect the world to act like Christians. But as Christians, we cannot respond like the world. Impartial justice is not based upon feeling and emotions. It is based upon the facts. Church, we live in the United States of America. It's not a perfect country. And we, we live in a far, fallen world. And we don't get things perfect. But I want you to know that we have a justice system that wants to conduct th- itself impartially. Not partially. And we probably have the best system on the face of the planet. But there are social justice warriors who desire a preferred form of justice. And if they don't have it their way, guess what? The system is racist. And it's got to be torn down. And it's got to be rewritten. It's got to it's start over. That is wrong. And the sad part is there are Christians who are sympathetic with their cause and emotionally supportive and want to justify and condone violent behavior. Church, that's wrong. That's not what God would have us do as God's people. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13 and 17 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. And when it comes to social justice, they're just concerned about one side of the story. And I've got, as God's people, we need to wait for all the story to come in, all the facts to come in, before jumping to conclusions. Because in jump, jumping to conclusions, that's not justice, that's revenge, that's seeking blood. And as the church, we can't go there. And you know what today? In this day and age, in this culture today, that's not very popular. And there's a culture today that wants to cancel that voice. Church, we can't be afraid. That doesn't mean we don't care. Doesn't mean we don't have a listening ear. But we can't be supportive of violence and rage. Protest is okay. But tearing down the structure is wrong, is godless. And there's no place for that. So, with that being said, Number one, judge with right judgment. Judge righteously. Christ is the supreme judge. Number two, you know what? We aren't. (laughs) Jesus knew the heart of man. Jesus knows our motives. We don't. So we can't afford, number three, to jump to conclusions before all the facts come out. Be patient. Wait. Social justice doesn't want you to wait. Social justice wants you to side with them now. Jesus says, wait. Check your heart. What sin is in your heart that you need to remove? What log is there that you need to be paying attention to so that you can report? respond appropriately to the situation you know what if you were a police officer waiting for due process you know you were you were placed in an impossible situation and you did what you were trained to do in that in that split second moment and now your life is on trial wouldn't you want to be judged on the facts of the case and not by the feelings of the jury we need to see both sides of the situation church Yeah, there's one side who's really angry They want revenge. They want blood right now. But there's another side of the story who did what they thought, who did what they were told to do, and now they are afraid for their life. There needs to be justice in this situation, not social justice, not preferred justice, God's justice. And that's what we, as God's people, need to stand for. Next point, never excuse unrighteousness. Social justice warriors do not concern themselves with the bad behavior of the oppressed group. They want revenge. They want blood. Jesus was not a, about to let the mob go there. He told the adulterous woman, sin no more. He who is without sin cast this verse on. There's no excuse for unrighteousness. We need to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. Not justify it. not sympathize it with it. not try to explain it away, but for, to call it for what it is, speak the truth in love. Church, none of us have received what we deserved. The adulterous woman didn't receive what she deserved. The religious, self-righteous hypocrites didn't receive what they deserve. We haven't received what we've deserved. We've received grace and mercy. And we need to lovingly listen to both sides. And you may very well be excluded from one group. But you're not going to be excluded from God. You may undergo some persecution. Church, one day we may all... There's a world out there that wants to cancel out the church. But we can't be afraid. We've got to stand firm. Knowing that God is sovereign... God's allowing us to go through this for a purpose and in that purpose we must glorify Him and continue to judge righteously. May God help us to judge righteously. Let's pray. Father, thank You for your grace and mercy it's far more than any of us deserve we deserve your justice but Jesus you removed our condemnation just like you removed this adulterous woman's condemnation forgave her Gave her a new life where her sin, sin was no longer in control of her life. She was free to live her life for you. Just as we're free to live our life for you today. God, we live in a dangerous world. And Christians aren't very popular today. God, help us to do the right thing. The moral thing. The biblical thing. That we would represent who You are, God. A God of justice who judges impartially, fairly, all people. Thank you, Father, for your word. This time we've had together. Bless this time of worship as we prepare to leave this morning. In Jesus' name, would you please stand with me? Please, as we sing this song. His mercy is more. Let's worship.